0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. passage comes from the book of Matthew chapter 22 verses 15 through 17. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gemma. You may be seated. Yeah, Jesus, do we have to pay taxes? Because if not, I will give so much more to the church if you just tell us we don't have to pay taxes. Well, you do. You're gonna have to pay taxes. I have it on good authority from one of my dearest friends in the world, Mike Bell, that you do have to pay taxes. So you might want to take that up with Mike. Thank you to Dr. Green for his preaching last week. I, I was getting some texts in real time. Dr. Green is spicy today. <laughs> Dr. Green is stirring the pot, so thank you, Dr. Green, for preaching in this series called The Uncomfortable Kingdom. It's going to be up there soon. I know it. it's going to be up there. It's called The Uncomfortable Kingdom. And, and here's why we called it The Uncomfortable Kingdom, It's because we're in a series of passages toward the end of the book of Matthew that uh, Jesus walked through things that Jesus said on Christ's way to the cross. In fact, you could make the case that some of the things that we're going to hear Jesus say over the next few weeks, maybe these were some of the reasons that they saw fit to crucify Jesus. And so we're going to walk through them for several different reasons. One of those is because we need to make sure that we still buy this Jesus character, right? We need to hear Jesus at Jesus' strongest. We need to hear what Jesus is saying here at some of these crucial moments to determine whether or not we still want to follow because everybody, everybody still gets to choose, right? You can opt out when you want. And I gotta tell you, this is an uncomfortable, uncomfortable sort of thing. I mean, here you had two groups of people who at any other point would have been at odds with one another. The Pharisees and the Herodians had nothing at all in common except for their hatred for Jesus. (laughs) Except for their belief that perhaps somebody at some point is gonna need to deal with this person. Should we pay taxes or not? On the one hand, if you say yes, yes, you need to pay taxes. You're going to upset the Pharisees and all the people like the Pharisees who believe that the Romans are occupiers. And why would we go ahead and pay for their army just to have the pleasure to have them occupy us? Make sense? They would have seen Jesus as a disloyal Jew if he says, yes, pay these taxes. But If he says, no, 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 we don't pay these taxes, then that probably would have expedited the crucifixion process because the Herodians, now Herod was a puppet king. Rome put Herod in place so that they could control Herod and then through Herod control this Jewish population. And so if Jesus says, no, we don't pay these taxes, then Jesus is immediately a threat that has to be dealt with. So they feel like they've got him trapped and now having him trapped finally Somebody can do something about this Jesus character. Can I say something? I think that if you plop Jesus down into 2023 in so many different places across the Bible belt, maybe even here in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, and you unleash Jesus to say the same kinds of things that would land here the way that those, these things landed then, I think we might kill him. I think we might. I think <laughs> we spend a lot of time as Christians, as Christians, blessing the culture and domesticating domesticating God. When I think sometimes the Christians in the room ought to be the people who stand up and say, "Hang on, hang on. Let's let's rethink what this means given our Christian." lenses all right so they're going to trap jesus i'm going to go ahead and tell you the rest of the story but you have to stay to the end of the sermon promise okay here we go but jesus aware of their malice said now why are you putting me to the test you bunch of hypocrites you're just play acting here show me the coin used for the tax and they brought him a denarius well as you can tell this is one of those coins And it's got somebody's face on it. Turns out that's Caesar's face. And then, verse 20, he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? And they all answered, It's the emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. According to verse 22, When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Way to go, Jesus. Jesus. All right, it's the uncomfortable kingdom. We have uncomfortable things that we need to talk about. And so now can I guide you into that discomfort? A while back, I went to a women's soccer game at a Christian campus, not SNU. And it started as you might expect that it would at a Christian campus. Somebody said, let's bow and pray. And then a very sweet voice spoke into a microphone and said a very sweet conversational prayer. And you know what? It was nice. After the prayer, a more authoritative voice got on the mic and said, And now would you stand to your feet. Men, remove your head coverings. Put your hands over your heart as we sing the national anthem. Now, I know. I get worked up over things, right? But at the conclusion of the national anthem, it struck me that these two things were not alike. One got some airtime, but the other got a more reverent airtime. Are y'all nervous for me yet? (laughs) Listen, I'm... I'm okay with the pledge, I really am. I'm okay with the national anthem, I really am. I've already told you, I think we're supposed to pay taxes. I I think we ought to give to Caesar what goes to Caesar. But, and and let let me say this, I think that's taxes I think that is, sure, the the pledge and the national anthem. I think it's voting. Y'all, vote. Christians vote. Christians study, and they get involved in society, and they vote. Don't be the person who says, well, my little vote doesn't mean it. The Christian thing to do is to study and vote. Will it work? Will you always get your way? No. Promise. Vote. Vote. And if you're not going to vote, please don't complain. Amen? Ah, there we go. <laughs> that, that all goes into the category of giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And I even mean the national anthem. I really do. My quarrel is not that we're giving Caesar what belongs to Caesar. My quarrel is not that we're paying taxes. My quarrel is not that we're doing these things at our sporting events, I think it's weird. My quarrel is that in following what Jesus is saying here is that I'm not sure we're giving everything to God that belongs to God. I mean, have you noticed the liturgies at our sporting events? I love me some Oklahoma football. I love home games. Anybody else out there? Any other Christians out there? Yeah. Love it. Love it. And, and I like to get there in time for a lot of the pomp and circumstance before. I love it. I, the band, the colors, and all, I, I love all of that stuff, right? And then we have a very, very significant liturgy, liturgy that takes place after that. Now people, now this has always struck me as a little bit funny and a little bit contradictory, and you know that I love this crew, right? But people will be all bent out of shape if you don't participate in the pledge or participate in the singing of the National Anthem. But the last line of the National Anthem goes something like this, so, right? It goes, and the home of the brave, but not at OU, it's the home of the... <laughs> Which is a little sacrilegious at that point, right? What does it mean to put your hand over your heart? Y'all nervous for me yet? What does it mean? Now you guys check my work. Before World War II, the way that we would with our bodies reverence the flag or the nation was with this body posture. You ready? Does that look familiar? After World War II, we changed it, thank the Lord. (laughs) We changed it to this. What does that mean? I looked that up too. Apparently, apparently, this means I'm telling the truth. As I sing the pledge, as I sing the national anthem, as I say the pledge, I'm telling the truth. My hand over my heart. My hand over my heart which seems to indicate something about my life, my hand over my heart, yes? With my life, I will say that I am telling the truth. Again, my quarrel is not that we are giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. My quarrel with us with us, is that we aren't often enough giving to God what belongs to God. Well, John, what are we not giving to God? All of it. Do you know why Jesus determined that the coins should go back to Caesar? Because the coins had Caesar's image, image on them. Well, then where, John, are we supposed to find the image of God? Yeah, help me here. Where in the world if our coins are going to have our leaders' faces on them, their images, then where in the world are we going to find the image of God so that then we can know what it is we're supposed to give back to God? Where, where in the world are we going to be able to find any trace of the image of God? You. Me. Me. Us. It matters when scripture says that we are made in God's image. In fact, all of creation bears the marks, the image of the creator. All of creation, God. You've heard me say this before. I, there's a difference between Being a Christian who says the pledge, being an American who says the pledge with his hand or her hand over her heart, who then goes to church. And and I've said it like this before, you are whatever you are first, but but here's here's a different way I'll say it just today. You are, (laughs) you are whatever you have pledged to first. Hand over your heart. And I think sometimes what we have are people who are willing to give it all to Caesar and then squeeze in, when possible, giving what's left to God. I think sometimes there are some people who have gotten comfortable with being Americans who happen to be Christians as opposed to, y'all, Christians who happen to be Americans. Are you suggesting, John, that we should be saying a pledge to God? Well, I hope, (laughs) I don't know how often you're saying the pledge of allegiance to America, but I do hope, since I hope that you are Christians who happen to be Americans, and again, participating Americans who sing the songs, who who do the pledges, who pay taxes, but I do hope as you're doing that, you're doing all of that because you are, first of all, Christian! Christian! I mean, ask yourself, where have you placed your ultimate sense of hope and trust? To whom have you entrusted your life, your future? It's too quiet. Can we put some background noise in here somewhere? It's just way too quiet. There's another passage I could have preached from today. Paul's letter to the church in Thess- Thessalonica. Verse one goes like this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank- give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah. Paul loves and believes in these people, and one of the people he loves and believes in, the guy who helped to start this church in Thessalonica, was a guy by the name of Jason. Believe it or not, Jason. There is this character in Scripture by the name of Jason who plays a crucial role in the movement of God here in Thessalonica. If you have your Bibles, turn with me all the way over to Acts chapter 17, because here in Acts chapter 17, we get sort of the story that Paul is talking about here with this letter. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 17. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, wow, I should have practiced that beforehand, in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I I am proclaiming to you. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, I love that, that's right there in the Bible, ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. And they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities. And here's what they said about these Christian types when they were complaining to the city authorities. These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. It wasn't that they weren't paying taxes. It was that Jason and this group that Paul helped to found, is that they were saying, no, there is a greater king, Caesar. Caesar. We have to understand ourselves as people of the movement, kingdom people who happen to live in this place, Thessalonica. But the people in Thessalonica were bothered by this. Now again, remember, I'm I'm the guy who's already said today, I think if you were to plop Jesus down into 2023 here, I don't know if Jesus would make it very long. What these Christians were saying here is this, yes, we will participate in this culture, we will participate well in this society. But you need to know something, Caesar, Jesus is our king. And we are believers who happen to be citizens and not citizens who are squeezing in belief. Imagine if Jesus were to march up and down the streets, perhaps even into the halls of power. Imagine if Jesus were to march up and down the stands in Norman imagine imagine if somehow and knowing Jesus, Jesus probably wouldn't be wearing all of these signs, but what if somehow Jesus were understood in that moment to be a challenge to the way things are the things that we celebrate with these liturgies before our sporting events imagine Imagine if the people of God would turn society upside down. When believers in Oklahoma are Oklahomans who happen to go to church, nothing gets turned upside down. That's the right side up kingdom. If you want to see the upside-down kingdom, then be Christians who happen to live and participate in Oklahoma. But you do so, first and foremost, as followers of Christ. Making use of Christ's definitions. Making use of Christ's tactics and strategies. I wonder why things aren't turned upside. down. There are so many Christians here, y'all. why haven't we turned the society upside down yet? I'm not sure if we want it upside down. John, are you saying then that today in church and every time we gather, we're supposed to be rehearsing our pledges to God? so that finally we can say a pledge to God that's at least as loud, if not louder, than the pledges that we make to our modern day Caesars. Hear me, no. I I don't think we're here each Sunday to try to rehearse the volume of our voices so that we can intimidate Caesar into knowing that no, we intend to follow this Jesus I don't think that's what we're here to do. I don't think we're here to sharpen our pledges to God. I think we're here to be reminded how often it is in Scripture that we're told that God has pledged to us. Y'all. <laughs> if sitting where you are today, you understand yourself to be Christian, please know Does it has, that it has a whole lot more to do with God than it does with you. Yes, say your yes. But if you understand yourself to be Christian today, God has done more of that heavy lifting than you have. But we are not here to try to see how loud we can get to combat those who would pledge allegiance to the emperor. We are here today to remind ourselves on a weekly basis that God, in God's grace, Has pledged God's self to us. And that's what makes all the difference. And so I'm going to tell you a a story. And I know if you've been in, if you're in Disciple, you just have heard this story, and I'm always looking for a reason to include this passage of scripture every year. But I'm going to tell you a very strange story that is found in the book of Genesis. God has tried, tried to reach out and shape this person by the name of Abram. Abram. Yes, Abram would at some point, chapter 18, become Abraham. But not yet Abraham, Abram. And God keeps pressing Abram. No, you really are going to be the one through whom I'm going to reach all of the people. I I really, really, I'm going through you. All families on earth will be blessed. Through you, God is, keeps saying to Abram and Sarai, who have become Sarah, I am pledging myself to you. I am pledging myself to you. And Abram doesn't seem to buy it. Abram actually behaves like someone who doesn't believe, even after he's been chosen by God. But that doesn't seem to shake God's confidence in what can be done in and through Abram. So in chapter 15, God walks up and says to Abram, says, you know, someday all these kids are going to have a bunch of these kids, a bunch of descendants. And Abram says, having heard this pledge from God, Abram says, I don't know. I'm not seeing it. 90 some odd years old. not seeing it. That's when God takes him outside and says, no, I'm telling you, I'm promising, I'm pledging myself to you. Look at the stars. Can you count those stars? So shall your descendants be. And then God goes on to say, and and I've already promised this. I'm gonna give you all this land. Promised land, they're gonna call it. I'm gonna give all this land to you. Abram, Abram says, "I, I don't know. How do I know? God says, all right, that does it. Go get a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but that little recipe list, that shopping list, meant something quite significant to Abram. Abram recognized that this was a suzerain treaty that's gonna happen. And let me tell you what happens in a suzerain treaty. It's bloody, first of all. None of these animals are gonna make it. They're all cut in half, and a bloody gauntlet is built. The heifer, the goat, and the ram, the front half on this side, the back half on this side, and all of this ugliness in between. Dead animals and a bloody path. And in a suzerain treaty, the stronger person takes the weaker person by the nap of the neck, walks them up to the first step in this bloody gauntlet and says, hey, here are the terms of our agreement. And if you don't make good on our agreement, a lot of times it was a military agreement, like this was a, this was a uh, terms of surrender, or might have even been a a debt that was owed. So the person owed the debt would grab the person by the neck, the other person would say, look, you see these animals? Let's stop, let's walk uh, let's walk slowly through this bloody gauntlet. And at the end, here's the deal. If you don't make good on your promise, on your pledge, if you don't make good on your pledge, there'll be a fourth bloody step to this ugly gauntlet. And so, terrified Abram goes and gets all the animals. He goes and he sets it all up, kills the animals, sets up the bloody path, and readies himself, sturdies himself, because in his mind and his heart, what's happening is God is tired of my wishy-washiness. God is tired of me not making my first place pledge to him, So Abram readies himself and he shows up at the first step of the bloody gauntlet and so does God. And you can tell it because scripture says it's a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot always reminiscent of God. God has shown up and of course God shows up. Who else is gonna grab Abram by the back of the neck? So God shows up to walk the bloody path with Abram. Seemingly to say to Abram, hey, This is what Abram thought at least. You better get your pledges straight or else this won't end well for you. God shows up, Abram shows up, and then God walks the bloody path and not Abram. I don't know if you caught that. The terms of the agreement were announced. (laughs) Abram thought for sure that God was gonna grab him and force him to walk the bloody gauntlet. That's not what happened. According to scripture, God shows up and God walks the bloody gauntlet. It's as if God is saying, look, you can't seem to pledge to me, Abram but just know as I walk this bloody path, I am pledging to you. And if I fail, if I fail, may I be the next bloody step in this ugly gauntlet. Friends, what made the difference for Abram who had become Abraham was not Abram's commitment to God. It wasn't Abram's pledge to God. It was God's pledge to Abram that made the difference. Listen, listen. And I know I've got a lot of really good people in here, a lot of very well-behaved people in here. I, I, I have watched you behave well. What makes the difference at the end of the day is not your pledge to God. It's God's pledge to you. And God has pledged to you even though God knows all that there is to know about you. God still chooses you. Does God know what I did this morning? Yes. Does God know what I did last week? My neighbor kind of deserved it, but does God know what I did? Yeah. And God says, I pledge to you, hand over my heart. Friends, we are not here to rehearse our first place pledges to God. (laughs) We are here to remember and rehearse God's first place pledges to us. Which, if you can ever get it through your thick Christian head, is what should motivate you to give God everything in return. This is why, friends, we say and have said for so many years around here, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. It's that same God who's been willing to walk the bloody path for all of us and for each of us. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And so we sing, not to try to convince God of our deepest pledge, but we sing in celebration that God has pledged to each of us. Yes, I want you to choose God. Yes, I want your choice to God to outclass your choice for Caesar. But yes, the only way to get from here to there is to recognize that it's God's pledge of allegiance to you that's made all the difference. And that's what we come to to remember and rehearse at the table each week. If you are coming, please come now and help us to set the table. Can, can we do this? I give you something to think about each week. What we remember and celebrate here is not the moment you pledged your allegiance to God. What we remember and celebrate here is the moment that God, God pledged God's self to you, to me, to us. And we respond to this with our lives. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Elements that communicate broken body and shed blood. Elements, God, that communicate not our pledge to you, but your pledge to us, the depth of your love for us, the far-reaching implications of the grace that you have for us. Remind us, God, as we take these pieces of bread and we have these sips from this cup, remind us that you are the same God of Genesis 15. Remind us, God, that The lives of faith that we build will be built on top of not our first place pledges for you, but they are built on top of your pledges to each and all of us. Remind us, God, that we eat and drink today in honor of and in the memory of this incredible story. And God, with this story, hopefully, Lord, embedded in our minds and our hearts, our imaginations and our bodies, we can see how it is that even as we are good citizens and giving what we give to Caesar, help us to see that we do so, God, against a larger, bigger, better backdrop. backdrop. And that backdrop is nothing short of this, that you have loved us first. And we respond with a lived out, I love you too, in every situation, even when in front of Caesar. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left. If you would like to join us today and participate in the memory of this very challenging story, the story of God's pledge to us. As you come forward, you'll approach somebody with the peace of with a plate full of bread hopefully you'll come with your hands cup to receive this piece of bread when you get close enough the person holding the bread will take a piece and press it into your hands and will say to you this is the body of Christ broken for you take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup when you do that person will say this is the blood of Christ shed for you and then take and eat And then I hope you'll find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody will come and meet you and pray that prayer for healing. It might be for physical or mental or emotional or relational, familial sorts of wounds, but we will pray for your healing there. If you come to one of these mourners benches up front, we won't assume anything, but somebody, probably me, will come by and just remind you that you do not pray alone. You are not alone. You may want to make a special trip up here to dip your fingers into this bowl of water meant to represent the moment of your baptism when you were included in the most specific sort of way into this movement of God, the people of God, who have the calling of God, the purpose of God. If you need to be reminded of that, that water can do the trick. But if you decide just to walk around and stay at your seats, first of all, God can hear those prayers too. But second... I want you to celebrate not your pledge to God, but can you celebrate today God's pledge to you? And maybe the best prayer that we can pray today is a prayer of thanksgiving. By the way, the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. So maybe simply pray a prayer of thank you today that God Knowing what you know about me, you still chose me. You still choose us. It was on the night was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, broken for you. And every time you do it, including today, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup, held it up before them, and said... This is my blood, the blood of a new covenant in which God chooses us. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me, says Jesus. You all are welcome. None are compelled. If you'd rather sit this one out, it's perfectly fine. But now all across the sanctuary, all who will stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to remind us of the pledge of God.